0: Look at verse 12. Here's the essence of what the theology of possessions is. Paul says, cling to eternal life. Cling to eternal life. Look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life to which you were called. Lay hold on. Hold on as tight as if you were out in the middle of Lake Michigan and the water was 50 degrees and you were hanging on to that life jacket for dear life that you didn't want to sink in You know, while they were coming to rescue. Hold on tight. Look what he says. Lay hold, not on your stuff but on eternal life. And keep reading. He says the same thing in verse 19. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. Look at the end of verse 19. That they may lay hold on eternal life. Cling to eternal life. Cling to it. Realize every day. You know, I was driving over here down Red Arrow this morning and the light came on my dash. And I looked at that light. I squinted. I thought, what is that one? So I pushed the little thing that tells you what they are. And it said tires low you know and i thought oh the old suburban's wearing out it's just going the way of this world and and i realize every day things are getting old and wearing out and they're not going to last and that's why god says cling not to what's passing away but to eternal life. And that's the essence of our theology of possessions is, am I clinging to the house? Am I clinging to the, to the possessions? Am I, does it hurt me to get rid of stuff? The, the, what we're supposed to do is see what we're really clinging to. What are you holding tight to? The, the same neurosurgeon, you know, the $3,500 half-hour guy, I was eating dinner with them once I was their butler they invited me out to dinner and we rode over in the twin 550s you know and uh, it was fun and we were sitting there eating this wonderful steak and we were we'd prayed and we were fellowshipping and as we were cutting the wife said to the husband honey you turned the alarm on didn't you he said no honey I thought you turned the alarm on and I'll never forget I can still hear as I say this the sound as both of them dropped their forks and knives at the same moment, and they hit the plate, and both of them roared off in their cars, racing home to turn on the burglar alarm. You see, if we're clinging, and and they are godly Christians, and they donated more money than I'll make in my whole life to the Lord's work, but they had so much that it had to always be guarded by sensors and alarms. In our lives, what are we clinging to? What are we laying hold on? Two more real quickly. Look at verse 17. A theology of possessions involves a sixth key. And the sixth key is pin your hope on God. And this is what it says in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age. By the way, in the Bible, there were three levels of wealth. There were the impoverished who did not have any food for today. Then there were the normal people who had today's food. In other words, in the morning, they had bread at home to eat, and they would work all day, and they'd bring home bread at the end of the day, and they would have tomorrow's bread. So there were the desperately poor uh, beggars who didn't even have today's. Then there were the day-by-day people who had just enough for the day, and they worked every day. And over the weekend, they just, you know, got a little extra, and it covered them over the weekend, and they started Monday morning. And then the other group were the rich. And the rich had more than one day's food. So that's the way the Bible defines riches. Either you're a beggar, or you live from day to day, or you're rich. So who do you think the rich are in this room? 99% of us aren't living. We don't have just enough for today. We have more. And so look what it says in verse 17. Command those who are rich, that's us, who have more than what we need for today. In this present age, don't be haughty. Don't trust in uncertain riches. Didn't we learn that in the last year as trillions evaporated from the equity markets? Don't trust in uncertain riches as the housing prices tumbled across the nation by whatever percent they tumbled. Don't trust in those things, but in the living God. See what he says? Pin your hopes on God. I'm glad my dad didn't pin his hopes on GM because the vaunted medical care is evaporating. I'm glad that good friends of mine that work for other corporations didn't pin their hopes on that pension because they are slowly declining. Pin your hopes on God. You know, we're not pinning our hopes on God when we always are saying, I hope we have enough to do this or that. I hope with this investment, we'll, I hope this job will last. I can tell you already it won't. Either your health will go down or the company will go down. Okay, it will not last forever. So pin your hope on God, who did say that he will never leave us or forsake us or fail us. So number six, pin your hopes on God, right next to verse 17. Here's the last one. By verse 18, I wrote, give until it hurts. And I'm going to close with this. Read this verse with me. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. I grew up in a about 800-square-foot house in Hazlitt, Michigan. It was really small. We lived, all three of us kids, Karen, Sharon, and me, lived in a, in a little room that my dad built pull-out beds. They were like drawers in the wall, and you, they pulled them out like steps. Trundle beds, he called them. One side note, I was so bad, my sisters used to push mine shut and lock it and leave me in there. That that's how come I'm, you know, affected now. I've been hindered by that all my life. I don't like being locked in drawers. But, but um, it, it was really a small house, and my, dad, my mom always stayed home, took care of the family. My dad worked at General Motors. Seems like they were always on strike and all that stuff. And, and so we didn't really have very much. Just had the little house and the one little car that we're always fixing. But my mother... And my dad had decided they were going to invest for the Lord. And so they had, uh, the only room in the house that was nice was where we ate and everything. They had this little china cabinet, and on the top were these little teacups that you never used. I could never figure that out, what we had them for, we never used them. But my mom kept a $20 bill. Now this is in the 60s, late 50s and 60s, a 20, up in that little teacup. And I knew about it because I knew what she did with it. us. Kids would watch her. And at church, like Lansing Baptist Church, every time some visiting missionary would come through or some visiting speaker or evangelist or whatever, and the pastor would always say, now does anybody here want to have them stay at their house and provide meals for them? My mom always raised her hand. We'll take them. And I remember when I was really little, I thought, "Well, take them. That meant I have to not sleep in my drawer. I have to sleep on the floor. You know, That's what they always did, gave the missionary my drawer, and I slept on the floor. But as I grew up, I started loving it because, I mean, I got to sleep on the floor next to some of these great missionaries from Japan and Mexico and the Philippines and wherever they were from, and that affected the rest of my life. But what I... As I got older, what I realized is my mom did this so that they would sleep in the drawer and then they would eat at the table and while they were eating their breakfast, she would walk over to her china table or cupboard and reach up in the teacup and she would grab that flying 20, she called it, and she'd hold it and she'd come over to that missionary and say, our family not only wants to pray for you, but we want to invest in your ministry. And she'd open her hand and put... What was, I think my dad, I saw one of his paychecks once, I think he made $120 a week. She gave a sixth of the weekly pay to that stranger. Do you know what Paul said? Look back at verse 18. God wants us to do good, to be rich in good works, to be ready to give, to be willing to share. So how do we lay hold on eternal life? Always remember things are only temporary, verse 7. Only seek the necessities and wait for the rest. That will liberate your life, verse 8. Avoid a consuming desire for prosperity, verses 9 and 10. Don't want to be the better than you, home and garden. Flee materialism, verse 11, like the plague. Cling to eternal life, verses 12 and 19, like you really believe it. Pin your hope on God, not on culture, not on pensions, not on equity markets, and certainly not on the government, verse 17. And then the real way that you check whether or not you have a right view of possessions, give until it hurts. Do you know the best way to cure materialism? Give stuff away. Divest, downsize, get rid of And you'll find such freedom and liberation in not replacing all that stuff. That's what God wants us to do. Avoid affluenza.